Welcome to episode number 243 of the Pioneering Today podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about making your garden work for you and helping to achieve financial sustainability and food security with your backyard vegetable garden. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris, founder of the Pioneering Today Academy and best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, Grow a Year's Worth of Sustainable and Healthy Food. I'm excited to share today's episode and guest with you because it is always so much fun to get to meet and talk to other people who love gardening as much as we do, who love to geek out about it and share tips and find out what's working really well for them in the garden. I feel like gardeners and homesteaders, we're kind of like just one big happy family or set of friends that we just haven't always met that person yet. Also love to share stories of people who make gardening work for them and who go about it. Maybe they weren't always raised in it so that everybody can see that we can all grow some of our own food, really no matter where we live or where our experience happens to be, that you can make it work. Because my goal is that every single family will be raising some of their own food. And I feel by showcasing and talking to other people who come from all different walks of life and live in all different parts of the country and even the world, that we really can help everybody achieve that goal. So my guest today is Luke from MI Gardener. And Luke started MI Gardener in 2011. He wanted to inspire others to grow a garden, live healthier lives, and have fun doing it. And with the help of social media, that's what's made it all possible. In 2014, him and his fiance joined together for this dream. She has a career in design, so she helped establish the creative vision for MI Gardener with her eye for detail. And Cindy and Luke got married in 2015, and they've dedicated all of their attention to working hard on building their business, which is growing a 100% organic garden and achieving financial independence by opening up their very own seed store. So we are going to be talking a little bit about Luke's seed store, and I think you're going to really love to hear what he has to say and his goal with it and how affordable he has made it in order to get seeds. And speaking of affordable, Luke also gave to all of our listeners a coupon code to use. So you can use Pioneering15. If you go to their seed store and decide that you want to purchase some seeds from them or go check it out and decide you need to order some, you can get 15% off your seeds. But you're going to get a lot of really great information on growing your own food in today's episode. So I'm really excited for us to dive in and for links to obviously for the actual coupon code written out if you want to grab that, the link to the store, but also links to some of the videos and some of the different things or and or blog posts and things that we talk about within this episode. If you're like, man, I really need to take a peek at that. You can grab all of those at the blog post that accompanies this episode. And that's at melissaknorris.com forward slash number 243. So just the number two, four and three, because this is episode number 243. Okay, 
Let's drive straight into this. Guys, I am super excited for today's guest. Luke, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you guys, right before we hit record, we totally got geeking out about gardening. As you can imagine, if any of you, which I know many of you are gardeners, and you might not have as many people who are as avid gardeners or get as excited about it as you do in real life. So when you meet another gardener, it's like you could talk forever and you'd both just get so excited. Well, that totally happened and I hadn't hit record yet. So you are going to be in for a great episode today. So Luke, if people aren't familiar with you, give me a little bit of background um, about how you came into gardening and what you guys do. Yeah, so uh, I run the MI Gardener channel. We started on YouTube. Uh, my wife and I, we started back in 2011, just with a mission to help more people grow more food, help them to have a lot more fun gardening, and kind of just uh, reconnect people to real food. Because so many people, when I first started, just the reasons why I started were because there was such a, a big disconnect between real food and the, the food that people thought they were eating. Um, things like, you know, French fries and, and, uh, ketchup, those aren't vegetables, despite people at the time thinking that they were substitutes for vegetables. And so I really just set out to, you know, make gardening fun, make it more interesting for younger people to, uh, to get involved with and, um, just kind of, uh, yeah, we started out on YouTube and we've been doing it now pretty much uh, two to three times a week. We've been uploading videos and uh, just kind of um, blazing a new trail, trying to get more people excited about gardening. I love that. We have very similar goals. So did you grow up with a garden or did you come into growing your own food like later in life? Or how did you start just like yourself with your gardening? Yeah, so it's funny you actually asked this. So like uh, people always ask me, what really got you into gardening? and not a whole lot got me into vegetable gardening. It kind of was just this fascinating thing. I had people in my family that grew vegetables, but um, growing up, my dad did not garden whatsoever. Um, he was uh, he was a working man. He was gone most of the day. And so when I was really young, my mom, she was into flower gardening. She had me out in the garden, just kind of taking care of me and gardening at the same time, because you couldn't be inside watching me and gardening at the same time. So I was out there, but I wasn't really involved in the process. And so um, that kind of, I guess, got me involved with the concept of growing stuff, but it wasn't until probably six or seven years old when I was given a tomato plant. I was told that I had to grow that, that tomato plant. And it really just kind of uh, connected with me, even at that young age, that you could take something that was a plant and grow food from it because we always, uh, well, not we, but I always thought that, uh, you know, five, six, seven years old, you get food from the grocery store. It was such a wild concept for me that I could grow something that was food on a plant that started from a seed. It just really, like I said, it just kind of lit a passion. And so it kind of grew out of nowhere, honestly. And then a lot of it was self-taught. Um, I went to school for, uh, for, um, uh, my prerequisites for botany and horticulture. I ended up doing other things later in life, but I still, you know, I have some background in that and uh, yeah, took the master gardener's course and just, um, you know, try to do as much as I could to educate myself because I didn't really have the background in vegetable gardening that I would have, you know, I would have liked to had. Yeah. I love that. But honestly, what a blessing that you realize that at that age, because sadly there are so many adults in modern society that honestly 
just think that vegetables and fruit for the majority that they do come from the store. Like it's not even in their, you know, their, their thought process or really any that, that they could be growing it at home. And I know for those of us who are into homesteading and into gardening and that type of thing, it's kind of seems foreign, but believe it or not, like I've had people be like, what, you can grow beans and like can them at home. Like you could really, you can do that. And they're very sincere. It's, they're not, you know, like poking fun. And so I just think it's a, a blessing that you realize that at such a young age. And I know it's both of our goals to make that not be the norm. And so that everybody realizes that they can grow their own food and garden it at home. And one of the things that we were talking about right before we actually started recording this for you guys, but is a point that I want to bring up is oftentimes when people talk about gardening and like, well, when can I plant such and such, or can I plant this? A lot of times we go by gardening zones, erroneously thinking that because I'm gardening zone seven and Luke is gardening zone five, um, but it's all around those first and last frost dates. So being as we were talking about that and we both have noticed um, as we help people all over the country, and actually I'm probably assuming you have readers and listeners from national too, um, that people kind of have that misconception. So I thought, you know what, we probably better just bring that up um, and say it. So even though I'm gardening zone seven and Luke is gardening zone five, surprisingly, we are planting our warm weather crops that have the same growing window of warm weather crops almost at the exact same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally crazy. I, I really, it was surprising because I don't get a chance to talk to many people from, you know, the West coast that much. Um, we, we kind of, you know, we, we stick to our Michigan bubble, uh, for the most part when it comes to talking to gardeners. I mean, we do talk to people all around the world, but it's not every day that you get to actually, you know, kind of compare like you and I were doing before we started this, this, uh, recording, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about these vegetables and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that sounds really familiar. I mean, you're in zone seven, but I'm going to be starting my tomatoes in like about a week and a half, two weeks. And I'm going to be starting, you know, my herbs in about a week and a half, two weeks. And, um, it just really, it, it really, uh, it, it kind of solidified everything that I've been kind of trying to tell people on, on my channel, which is that you, you really cannot go by growing zone because, uh, you and I are two different, two zones apart. And, um, you know, we're, we're several thousand miles apart, uh, from Michigan to, to where you're at. And, uh, we're still, we saw the same planting window. And so you truly cannot go by, by the, um, those common misconceptions. Cause you'll definitely be, you'll definitely be led astray for sure. Yeah, totally agree. And you guys, I love this because not only do you do gardening and you teach gardening, but I think this is a really interesting, you guys actually ended up starting a seed company as well. So Obviously, you garden for your own food, and but as doing the seed company, is that your guys's livelihood? You and your wife is that what you're doing full time? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we um, we've been so blessed to have just an incredible community of people that have come around what we do, and it's just kind of been an attachment. It started out as just something that we wanted to do as a service to kind of give people a an inexpensive source for seed to really kind of cut down those barriers and those excuses. Because um, growing up, one of the things that I noticed when I was on a high school budget when I first started gardening, kind of a uh, for myself, for my own food production, I noticed, you know, wow, on a high schooler's budget, I can't afford more than a couple packets of seed, you know, and, and I know a lot of people are like that, even adults, you know, money is tight and uh, we all have budgets. We all have uh, financial constraints. 
And so I set out just to do a small project of just offering a handful of seeds for an inexpensive price. Uh, and it stuck so well that then, um, my, my girlfriend, now wife, uh, was like, you should really take this on and, and start growing this because I see this kind of going places. And so, yeah, we, uh, we kind of just started out as an attachment of MI Gardener to kind of give people the resources to grow food and the information to grow the food as well. But uh, we never could have seen it to where it's at now. We are, we're just short of uh, 20 employees that, that work with us. Um, we, uh, we ship seeds all around the world. And uh, we started with just uh, a small selection of about 12, 15 varieties of seed. And now we're up to well over 550 varieties. So it's, it's truly incredible. Wow. That is awesome. Now, are they organic heirloom, a combination? Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're all 100% heirloom and they're all, uh, they're not certified organic, not all of them at least. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, they are at least grown with organic methods. There's a little bit of a f kind of a fine detail for anyone listening that is interested. And it's just, it really comes down to like what you can legally call something because organic is a, is a certification. So they're grown with organic methods, but we're very strict because anything we put in our garden has to be 100% organic. Um, and so, uh, so for us, you know, we want to, anything that we would put in our garden, we also want to supply to other people. So when we go out and we source seed from small uh, family farms throughout the United States, um, we work with over 30 different farmers, which is just so cool to meet them and hear their stories. And um, not only that, but uh, glean information on how to grow stuff for our own garden. Um, you know, you meet those cool people and uh, that way you can kind of vet them and, and get exactly the quality, the consistency and you know, what you're looking for, which is, it's so much fun. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I'm with you on organic. Um, as long as it's used with organic practices, I'm fine if it's not certified. And that's one of the reasons I love doing so much local or where you can actually meet the people who are growing it. Um, we're the same way we raise, not only do we do our vegetable garden and our meat, but we all are, excuse me, vegetable garden and fruit, but we also raise all of our own meat. And we pretty much do it just for our own consumption. So I don't actually, you know, sell my meat to the public. But I tell people, if you're looking to go to a farmer, most small farmers aren't going to become certified organic if they're just selling at one or, you know, half a couple cows a year. But a lot of times they're totally using organic practices. Right. So you can get the organic without the certification, but it's knowing that source and actually being able to talk to that person and going over their Absolutely. practices. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of the things we, we've really tried to stress to people too, because you'll get people that, that are, they'll, they'll come in and they'll say, well, I only buy strictly organic. And I'm just like, well, you know, Hey, you can have your own beliefs, but you know, when it really comes down to the finite details of, you know, the things you're really kind of just paying for a sticker, you're paying for a label. And uh, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of farmers, they just, they don't have, the resources to pay for that sticker and they do the right things. They take the right steps. And that's kind of why we, you know, like I said, we, we try to partner with as many as we can that are doing the right thing because we really believe in, um, you know, that if you're not using any pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, nothing synthetic, you know, you're doing things the way mother nature, you know, would have, would have grown these crops. Um, it's the best that they come, honestly. Yeah, totally agree. Which actually leads me into the next question because it's funny with growing a garden, there's kind of like two sides of the camp. You know, you've got the people who are like, you know, like it's all this free food and I'm saving so much money, which is true. But then you've got the other side of the coin 
that especially I feel like when people are just getting started and they don't have the infrastructure, they've never, you know, they're starting from zero. And so they are having to purchase more than someone who's got a garden and is just maybe rebuying some seeds if they're not seed saving or bringing in a few new things. And they're like, oh my goodness, like growing a garden would be awesome, but it's a lot of money for me to get started. So, which I, I think can be true actually on both sides. Both sides can be true depending on someone's situation. But you have helped so many people and you have the, the, the store, the seed store, so you really get to talk to a lot of gardeners. How much money do you feel, do you guys see that you can save with having a garden at home? So we've actually been doing this for now for about, uh, I think, four or five years now where my wife and I, we actually kind of catalog everything that we harvest um, and, and eat and consume. And not to sound like we're obsessive about this, but it's kind of been this just uh, just this fun project that we've done, just trying to kind of calculate how much money we can save in a given year. And um, on average, obviously it does fluctuate from year to year with good seasons and bad seasons. But uh, two years ago was our best season ever with the help of our fruit trees that did super well. We saved just shy of $4,000 on our grocery bill. And, um, and that's not with a huge garden. I mean, anyone that has never seen what we do, um, their your listeners are probably thinking he's got a farm. No, we really, <laughs> we really genuinely don't. We only have uh, our garden space is only two thousand square feet, um, and uh, and then we have about uh, I think eight or nine fruit trees. Um, so it's very small. We actually live on a on a third of an acre in the city, and it's part of you know, doing this is just showing people, yeah, this is definitely possible. Even on a small lot, you know, you don't have to have a big garden. You don't have to have, uh, all this, you know, big equipment, all this costly stuff. Heck, you don't even have to have raised beds. If you don't want, we grow on raised beds cause it's easier for us, uh, just to work them and manage them and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you don't have to have those. And I've always gone off the premise that gardening can be as expensive or inexpensive as you want. You know, a lot of people, they just, they get so overwhelmed that they end up impulsively buying all of this stuff. Then they look back and saying, well, that was, um, that was a, uh, that was a very expensive tomato I grew. And, uh, and, and I said, well, yeah, you, you made it expensive. You didn't have to though. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if they're going to invest in anything, it's your soil health because healthy soil is going to be the difference between an easy gardening season or if any season is, easy with gardening because we can never control what the weather brings, but we can control the health of our soil. But even that doesn't have to be expensive if you're, you know, doing composting and that type of stuff. Like it can be really easy to build up your soil without buying even organic, a ton of, you know, nutrients and fertilizers and all of that. If you've got some dirt and some seed, you can grow some of your own food. I think one of the one of the blessings and curses of this age for gardening and really anything is the internet. We've never had more information available to us. I mean, I have even been gardening for 20, 20 years on my own, my husband and I should say, so not technically on my own, um, and was raised with a big vegetable garden. And every year there's new things that I want to grow or I end up looking something up. But then on the other hand, when we have all of this at our fingertips, we often see like these beautiful lush gardens, like you said, with these, these gorgeous raised beds and these different containers and just all of these things. And we're like, oh man. And sometimes I think we get in our head, like 
that's what I have to have and that's what I need to start out with in order to grow food. And while you can definitely go that way and build up that way, that's not how you have to start. So right. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, I've seen a lot of people that they assume that you have to have this massive investment. And um, it, it's not to say you, you, you don't have to necessarily pinch pennies. If you, know, if you have the disposable income and you want a beautiful garden, um, I've, never, I've never condemned it. But for the people that don't have a lot of disposable income, start, I've always said, start with one raised bed, start with two raised beds. You know, even if you can't afford, say, 20 off the bat, start, start with two and and build two per year. And after 10 years, you've got your 20, you know, and it's, and it's a natural thing that you can invest in slowly too. Um, you know, so it's not something you have to do all at once either. Um, but there's so many different ways to get to a, to a bountiful and, you know, uh, kind of a money saving garden. That's really going to make a huge difference in your family's food bill that you you don't, there's kind of, there's no one specific way to do it. Oh, so true. I feel like no two gardens are really the same and they probably shouldn't be. I feel like they need to be customized to each family and where you're at and what you've got, like you said, at your disposal. So you said you guys are on a third acre and you're growing that much food, which is awesome. How much food on, do you have an average or how much can you grow in a home garden setting? So without being a big farm with acres and acres of land? Yeah. So it really, that definitely comes down to the crops that you're growing. For us, what we focus on is we focus on highly productive crops. I always say if you're growing, anyone that's growing for, you know, for themselves, the best thing to do to focus on is uh, seeds that give you a return of more than a one-to-one ratio. And, you know, there's nothing against carrots. There's nothing against beets. You can grow those, but the, the, the idea that you're planting one seed and you're getting one carrot, that to me is not a great uh, use of space for me. We still do grow some carrots. We do still grow some beets. But, you know, when we plant a bean seed, for instance, three or four bean plants, they can feed a family of, of uh, three or four pretty much the whole summer long. Because the more you pick, the more you get. And then by the time the summer's over, you're sick of beans. Um, but when you plant out 30 or 40 bean plants, then you actually have some to eat. And then you have some to freeze and some to can. And then, so now you've got, now you actually have food storage, which is going to save money in the off season. Um, it really comes down to what you're, what you're deciding to plant. Um, things like potatoes, one potato set, like one uh, little slice of a potato, it's going to give you two or three pounds of potatoes. Um, tomato seed. I mean, we all know you plant three or four tomato plants and you're giving them away. You're pushing them on your neighbors. Um, so it's, uh, it's really just about what you're growing, but with our focus, with our focus being, you know, highly productive crops, and then combining that with what we call a bio-intensive or a high-intensity gardening method, that really, those two put together really allow us to grow absolutely incredible amounts of food. Um, like I said, we're, we're, we're saving on average around three to $4,000 a year on our grocery bill. And so um, it, it's, it's completely possible to grow not only, not only your whole summer's worth of food, but also your whole fall and winter's worth of food as well. Um, we also do incorporate some, uh, some types of uh, like season extension. So we'll use uh, hoop houses, a, a couple small little like, uh, not really hoop houses, but caterpillar tunnels. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are these like just kind of low, really low PVC 
uh, hoops that have some plastic draped over top of them. Very basic, but they allow us to grow food almost in like greens and spinach and stuff like that, almost into January, which is fantastic. So, um, you know, we're not just growing just in summer, we're growing in spring, summer, fall, and even winter with some crops. And so, uh, yeah, with, with those methods and the types of crops that we grow, we're able to make just in a massive dent in our, in our grocery bill and just how much food we can eat ourselves. Yeah, I think definitely employing those. Like right now I have lettuce growing actually outside. It's just like one of those Rubbermaid clear big plastic totes and I just have it upside down over my lettuce. Um, and so I've had lettuce growing since December and it definitely is not as fast as growing as in the spring and summer, even with that as the protection. Um, but I had my beets so that I could, they would um, not go into dormant and not freeze because the freeze-thaw cycle is really hard on beets. But I just harvested beets, beets the last of the beets, I should say, uh, last week from having them under a very small tunnel like that that you just said. And so taking advantage of things like that that are already cool weather plants, and if you can just give them like that 5 to 10 degree warmer, they'll keep on going, um, has been really key in helping us to do more of year-round gardening and I feel like we've really only started doing that probably about three or four years ago. Prior to that, it was just growing as much as possible during those warm weather summer months um, and with enough to, a year's worth of food is my goal. Now, not every crop I grow a year's worth of, but over 60% of our vegetables that feed our family, we grow for an entire year and preserve and put up. So, um, and it, we have acreage for our livestock, but our actual vegetable garden is just a, um, 30 by 20 foot um, big, big garden. And then I have a small high tunnel where I actually grow our tomatoes and peppers because Pacific Northwest, <laughs> we have the same growing days, but I think our growing days are a lot wetter than your guys's. So yeah. I have to have some, some coverage there for the tomatoes so that I don't deal with any of the blight. Um, but again, like people are always surprised when I say this is how much we grow for a year. And they actually come on the homestead or see it in, on our YouTube channel um, that it's coming from that small amount of space, but doing like succession planting and basically planting three crops, spring, summer, and fall that then carries through winter is really key. Um, what are some ways that you feel, especially for people who are like, okay, I'm gardening, but I am totally on a budget, um, that they can save the most amount of money with the garden? So I, going back to kind of like what I said with planting crops that give you more than a one-to-one -one ratio, that's definitely a great way to, to save the most amount of money because it's a novelty to want to plant things like corn. It's a novelty to want to plant things like kind of those idealistic crops, I like to call them. They're very nice to grow if you have the space. But unfortunately, a lot of gardeners that are short on space, they want to grow everything. And you know, to some extent that might be okay. But I think for a lot of people, um, they kind of, um, they kind of fall short with what they can actually, with what they can actually produce because they try to kind of do one of everything, you know, and, uh, and that's really where I kind of like to, I like to say, I, I like to run my garden kind of like a business in a way in which there's some things that I know I cannot do. And there's some, there's some things that I can do on my own. And that's where we call, that's kind of what we call outsourcing. So for things like uh, corn, where you're, get, you're planting one corn seed, you're getting a massive plant that's taking up a ton of space and you're really, really only getting one or maybe two, two ears uh, per, per uh, stock. 
that's not a great use of space. And I'd much rather, not only that, but it's very inexpensive to buy. I'd much rather go down to my local farmer's market, support a local farmer, buy a dozen years of corn for, you know, three or $4, which is just insane how much, how much corn you can buy for such a little amount of money. Buy those from a local farmer. Use that space to grow things like herbs, tomatoes, peppers, um, potatoes, um, herbs specifically. I mean, we use so many herbs in our cooking. And if you look at the cost of fresh herbs, um, you know, dry herbs don't really, they don't really do it for me anymore. They just don't have, they don't have the, the same fragrance, the same freshness, the color, the, you know, just the, that punch that they give food. Fresh is so much better than dried. Now we will dry some of our herbs for the, for the off season. Absolutely. But fresh herbs, if you're buying them from the, you know, the grocery store or the farmer's market, look at things like basil. My goodness, you can hardly even kill, you can, you have to try to kill basil. And basil is one where it's, it's 14 to $17 a pound. Now that doesn't sound terribly expensive, but most of that cost is in the stock. You know, the, the actual plant, the actual leaves are very few on a pound of basil. You know, when you buy a bunch of, a bunch of thyme or a bunch of sage, you're not buying it for the herb that you're using. You're buying it for the plant weight. And so when, when you buy stuff like that, you're spending way, way, way more than you really need to. And so I always tell people, if you only have containers to grow in, don't try growing things other than herbs. Start with herbs. Start with your high dollar, uh, your high dollar items. And then work into stuff that you're eating more of. So if you're eating a lot of tomatoes, why on earth would you grow you know, more peppers? You know, if your family doesn't like carrots, why would you try growing them? And I think that's something, if you're gardening for a hobby and you're gardening for the fun of gardening, that's fine. But if your goal is to save money off your grocery bill, it, it makes no sense to me to plant stuff that your family is not eating. And it also makes no sense to me to plant things that don't have that, that high dollar return to me. Like I was talk, talking about with corn, carrots, beets, things like that. Um, they just, I can literally go down to any farmer's market within a, five, 10 mile radius of here. I can find all three of those. And, um, you know, and, and it's, uh, and it's so much less expensive because they're growing on acres. They're growing they're, you know, they're specializing in this specific crop or a few specific crops. And therefore, because they're growing on acres and I'm growing in square feet, my, my costs have to kind of be assessed. And so, uh, yeah, that's definitely a, a really important thing to consider is knowing what you should be buying from someone else and knowing what you should grow yourself. And that honestly can only come down to a, a person by person basis. Yeah, it's so funny. I am in complete agreement with you. I, I teach that it's in my book, the, the Family Garden Plan. And what's funny is I'm the same way with corn. Now we used to grow corn, but corn is also a fairly heavy nitrogen feeder. Like it, it takes a lot from the soil. And like you said, you're only getting usually two, maybe if you're lucky, three, four things of corn per plant. And so I, we don't grow corn anymore. And I have to confess I don't usually grow potatoes either because here where we live, there is a huge potato farm where I can go down and get it like so cheap. I can buy potatoes that are locally grown and all of that. And so potatoes and corn are two that we haven't grown. Oh goodness. Just because we can get them super cheap here and they do take up space. So potatoes, not as much as corn. Um, but I think that's, that's so key because I feel like a lot of times we look at what we think should be in a traditional summer vegetable garden and, you know, the stocks of corn and everything is something that come up to most people's mind. 
it's not necessarily the best use of your growing space. So I'm so glad that, that you hit on that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are the nutritional differences between homegrown and, st- and the conventional store? Because not only is taste, oh my goodness, like I don't know about you, but I can barely eat like just going to the regular grocery store and getting produce off the shelf. Like it doesn't taste nearly as good as the homegrown stuff. But what about when we come to the actual nutritional part? Yeah, so this is something that we really talk about quite a bit on our channel because it's so important to, to realize that you know anytime you support a conventional grocery store, you're supporting a model that is convenient, yes. You know, we, we can't grow mangoes here in Michigan, not very easily at least. So with mangoes and, and things that we can't grow locally, it's a convenience factor to buy them from the grocery store. But you have to remember that anything that is a convenience, there's more, more than likely been some corners cut um, because it's, it, it helps to support that model. So with tropical fruit, that doesn't really fall into my criteria of things that I really worry about because I think fruit is great for you. But when you're looking at things like lettuce, we just, we just did a segment on lettuce where, you know, when you buy a head of lettuce in Michigan, most of that lettuce, about 80% of it comes from California, comes from Arizona, and it comes from New Mexico. Now, for you, that's actually fairly close. I mean, I wouldn't consider it local by any means. But, but for us here in Michigan, to be buying lettuce that we can grow, like I said, under, under hoop houses, um, or I, I call them hoop houses, but caterpillar tunnels is the technical term. Um, you know, if we can grow them under uh, the caterpillar tunnels, until January, or we can grow them, uh, say in a windowsill, uh, container or even underneath grow lights in our basement, which we do, you know, we're growing food that is right. It's harvested right at the source. The hour we need it, we can harvest it. It has not been shipped hundreds of of, uh, miles and it's not been, um, you know what I mean? It's not been put in a truck and then put onto another truck and then put in a grocery store and sat there for a couple days. When you look at the nutritional value of stuff that has been shipped from, uh, from overseas, look at, look at blueberries, for instance, you know, blueberries, um, guarantee if you go to the grocery store, um, anywhere that, uh, that is Midwest kind of, uh, anywhere kind of, uh, North of, I'd say like the 45 degree latitude line, anything like that's going to come from Peru. Most of your vegetables like blueberries are going to come from Peru, uh, during this time of year. And there have been so many studies that have shown that within, uh, within 24 hours, you lose about a quarter of the nutrition that was once in the vegetable. And that's due to oxidation. Um, Prime example, if you cut a, if you cut an apple and you leave it on the counter, you know, you know what happens. They turn brown. That is because of oxidation. And anytime, anytime oxygen gets into your fruit, gets into your vegetables, what happens is it actually ruins those, those vitamins and minerals because they begin to oxidize. And, uh, and so just because your blueberries aren't turning brown, doesn't mean they're not oxidizing. And so, um, they, you know, that oxidation process begins as soon as they're picked from the plant. And that's why I always advocate, um, homegrown is that's why it's so much better tasting is because all those vitamins, all those minerals, they do add flavor, you know, all the sugars, um, all of the, you know, just even the water content, the water content 
you know, when you're looking at like cucumbers from the store, we don't even like cucumbers from the store because they taste, they're just, they're so, they're so, they're not, they're not juicy. You know, it's weird to call a cucumber juicy, but you harvest a cucumber from, you know, your, your garden and it just drips water. And that's because cucumbers are 97% water. But we actually took a cucumber and tested the water content from a store-bought cucumber and it was 81%. So you look at, you've lost that much water content. So how much, how many vitamins have you lost? How many you know, minerals have you lost through that process? And, um, and that's not even taking into account the fact that when you grow it yourself, you're not, you're not beholden to someone else's gardening or farming practices. Um, I don't know what they sprayed on their crops. I don't know how the crops were stored. You know, you hear all the time about um, things like, unfortunately, rat droppings, um, mouse droppings. Uh, I would encourage everyone, including yourself, Melissa, to just look up um, the, the FDA allowance for how many mouse droppings oh. are allowed per, uh, you know, in certain foods. Oh. They, they allow them. And that's why I cannot strongly advocate this enough. We all, we all are nauseous at the thought of it. But yet we just as quickly go to the grocery store and buy a, a vine rape and tomato. And, and, and the sad thing is, is that we, we don't have any control over that whole process. It is someone else's, uh, it's on someone else's, um, you know, set of morals to say, this does not look appropriate. You know, this is not appropriate to, to give this to someone. This is not appropriate to, to store this here or to spray it with this. And so the nutritional value is, is a, a small component to a much bigger picture that food quality when grown from home is not even comparable. It's truly not even comparable. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I don't even think I can look up that t- statistic because I think it's going to make me throw up in my mouth a little bit <laughs> to tell you the truth. Yeah. But you know, too, with, with the homegrown, I'm the same. I think there's something too, that we've been very spoiled in this day and age instead of really living seasonally, which a gardener definitely looks at the seasons. I mean, especially if you have perennials and like you're saying, growing your own fruit. I mean, I am doing so many different tasks per season, but we've gotten really spoiled, especially here in the US, that we can go to pretty much any grocery store and you can almost find fresh produce. Now, how fresh it actually is, is a question on, you know, when it was harvested and shipping wise, like we've been talking about. But almost any time of year, we can get any fruit or vegetable that we want. And I think if we go back to that seasonal, which if you're growing it yourself, you definitely will be going to seasonal eating unless you're eating it preserved. But even home preserved food still has more nutritional and taste content than the store-bought preserved because when I'm picking my blueberries, I'm picking them, I'm bringing them in the house and then I'm either freezing them or I'm making my jam or jelly and I'm canning them and they're going on the store shelf. I mean, there's literally maybe a couple hours between harvest and they're allowed to fully ripen on the plant as compared to most what we're getting from the store. They can't let it actually get ripe all the way because then you have such a shorter window of shelf life. That we get is under ripe or they'll use sometimes use chemicals or different things like that to try to get the color to be brought out in it. So it doesn't look under, right. Yeah. Uh, but I think too, if we just even get in that mindset too, of eating things more when they're in season only, unless you have preserved it and grown it yourself or got it at farmer's market during the in season and put it up, um, that will naturally set ourselves up more 
to not be relying and not even buying those things that are shipped in, in those questionable you know, conditions and all that type of stuff, uh, just naturally by staying in seasonal eating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I could not, I could not agree more. One of the biggest things that we've seen with even our own family is that when we eat seasonally, um, it actually not only allows you to continue to save more money because, uh, if it's seasonal, that means, um, you know, you're able to either grow it yourself or someone else is probably growing it around you. And, um, so you can get it locally if it's seasonal. And, um, a lot of people think that, uh, seasonal means that you're sacrificing a lot. And it's something that I think is more of a misconception than is actually truth. Um, just prime example, if we, by the seasons here, um, you know, we can still have uh, tubers like uh, potatoes. I mean, they're either in a, a root cellar or you can even leave them in the ground and, and just cover them with leaves and harvest them as needed. Things like parsnips, um, beets, carrots, all of those can be stored exactly the same way. And those are all seasonal, um, sweet potatoes, onions, um, garlic, those are all ones that, you know, those are all very seasonal as well. Um, you know, and even like I said, with things like lettuce, lettuce is very seasonal. Um, especially, you know, if you have the, the infrastructure to, to grow it outside, it's, it's very easy. And so a lot of people, they just assume, Oh man, well, I, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be starving myself if I eat by the seasons here in Michigan. And I tell people, Hey, we, we pretty much eat about, I would say 75, maybe 80% of our food that we like the vegetables that we eat are by the season. And, um, and we're not starving in the least. Uh, so it's just a, a great example, even things, honestly, Melissa, even things like cabbages, um, Brussels sprouts, you know, people, they just, you have to open your mind and, and realize that, uh, that, that it, there might not be, there might not be the colorful things like tomatoes, you know, there might not be the colorful things like, uh, you know, peppers and stuff like that. But I think personally that our bodies do better when we're eating stuff that is, is kind of that intended thing. Um, a prime example going kind of touching on nutrition is when you look at the, the greens and you look at winter months, one thing is we're, we're cold a lot. Greens are very high in iron. Um, if you look at, uh, things like cold and flus, um, they're also very high in, in minerals like zinc and, uh, and you, you have a lot of these minerals that people take vitamin supplements, but yet these seasonal vegetables are very high in them. Um, potassium potatoes are super high in potassium, but yet you have someone taking a potassium supplement and it's so, you know, it's so I guess it's, it's confusing to me as to how you could not only feed yourself and feed your family, but you'd rather, you know, you'd rather, uh, go and get a, a vitamin supplement, you know, rather than eating the real thing. Yeah. Well, and actually on nutrition, our bodies, when we're pulling the nutrition from the plant, it's different and you actually are going to absorb and your body is going to use it more than if you are taking it from in a vitamin form because it, it's coming in with everything else that's in that plant. And oftentimes there's components there that you need that's not always in that tablet that you get from the store that our bodies need in order to be able to process it properly and get the most out of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, oh my goodness. And I forgot, I was gonna tell you earlier, I don't know if you've tried this, but I am, we were talking about the herbs and you were saying about how I, I'm so with you, like 
very rarely do dried herbs have the same flavor punch as when they're fresh, but basil is one. I am still using my basil from the summer garden, but I do it with salt. And so it's still fresh. It has that fresh flavor. And so there's actually the flavor. Have you tried, have you done the herb salts yet? I have not done herb salts. And that's only because my family is actually on, we're trying to be on more of a low sodium diet. I actually had a health scare about a year and a half ago. My doctor just, he told me, hey, you've got to cut your salt out because genetically it runs in our family that sodium tends to increase blood pressure levels. Uh-huh. And he kind of reined that in real quick. So we don't do a whole lot of like, like herb salts, but we do, um, we do actually use a lot of uh, natural seasonings. Like we'll use... Um, for instance, uh, tomato, like tomato skin powder mm-hmm. or, uh, or like celery powder, these, those herbs, uh, they are very high in sodium and they, you know, some sodium is good in every diet. Absolutely. But, um, you know, we, we don't consume a lot of like salt, uh, when it comes to that. So no, we've never, we've never done that. Okay. Well, for anybody out there, if you don't have to be low sodium, and you preserve it that way. It's the only way I've found, especially basil. I feel like basil is one of those herbs that the second it's dried, it has like no flavor. Whereas like rosemary, even dried, still has pretty good flavor. And sage, you know, some of those herbs dried still have some of that flavor punch. Um, but if you do it with the, the salt, it really, you can use, you know, just like what the normal amount of salt you would use in a recipe. So like half a teaspoon or something for your whole pot. Uh, but then you get that fresh basil thrown in there. Um, so it's like my, it's the only way that I preserve basil anymore. Cause I've just learned that drying it. I just don't use it. Cause it, I almost feel like there's no point cause there's no flavor. No, there really truly isn't honestly. And that, yeah, that's another really good point too, is like, you know, when, when we do dry herbs, the stuff that we do dry and, and bring in, they're things like you were saying that are, they, they have really high oil content. So they do keep their flavor. Um, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times at my mom's house, I mean, she's very frugal. She would have dried parsley and, and she'd have uh, dried basil. And I, I just could not bring myself to, uh, to ever put those in any of my foods because um, they, they kind of just tasted almost like, like paper. They didn't have a lot of flavor. Um, and so, uh, so growing up, I just, I knew, I, I just knew that like, those were not ones that I ever really wanted to, to consume. But when I had, you know, uh, dried, dried rosemary, dried sage, any of those dry, really kind of more uh, Mediterranean high oil content, uh, herbs, um, they keep their flavor really well. And, uh, yeah, like I said, you can save a lot of money by just by growing those and, and, and drying them, using them fresh, obviously, but drying them as well. Um, you can make your own spice blends. Uh, we made, uh, we actually made, I don't know if you do this, but it's, uh, uh, you know, like you're, you have like your own little, you'll go to the grocery store and buy your Italian herb blend, right? Or your, your, I don't know, your Asian herb blend. We actually make our own herb blends and we just use them all from our own garden. And it's fantastic. It not only speeds up the cooking process, but things are grown right from your garden. They taste so much better. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I have lots of different blends. I like my popcorn seasoning. I, I do buy nutritional yeast, but I make all of my own like popcorn seasoning. Like I make a ranch garlic one with garlic powder um, and dried dill from the garden to put on our popcorn. Like, oh yeah. And the flavor, even with dried herbs that you've grown and dried yourself compared to buying those dried herbs in the store, not only do you save money, but again, 
they still, I feel like even my homegrown dried herbs have more flavor than purchasing them dried from the store too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Luke, thank you so much for coming on today. So before we sign off, what are you putting in the garden this year that is either new or you're super excited about growing? So one of the things that we're definitely excited about growing are just more rare and unique vegetables. Um, We've really tried to, in years past, we've tried to grow uh, as much biodiversity as possible. I love seeing the unique stuff that's out there. So, um, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing this year are some herbs. Um, You and I actually spoke about one that I've I've been wanting to try for a very long time, which is uh, ashwagandha. just really trying to get uh, some more, some more herbs, stuff that is kind of natural medicines that, that, uh, that, that are so easy to grow. Um, we're actually going to be growing this year, um, a small crop of dandelions because dandelions are so nutritious. They're so good for your body. So good for your blood and your liver. Um, also things like, uh, you know, we're, we're also growing, um, what else is new? We're growing uh, a fair amount of, um, what else? Lemongrass. Uh, lemongrass has been a favorite of ours for so long. It's just, we do a lot of Asian cooking. So we'll make, you know, like uh, le- Thai lemongrass soup or we'll make like lemongrass tea. Fantastic. It, you can't get better than homegrown. So we're going to grow a fair amount of that this year. Um, one of the things I've been on a kick that I just, I'm almost collecting. I swear. Um, it's, it's, uh, is basils. Um, mm. Every year I try to add more basils to my collection. There's just so many out there, you know, cinnamon basil, uh, lime basil, orange basil, lemon basil, holy basil, you name it. I mean, there's, there's so many different basils out there and it's incredible how, how each one has their own little flavor. So I kind of have a, a basil collection as nerdy as that sounds. No, I love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we're going to be adding, we're going to try to be adding to that. But, uh, another one is, um, artichokes. Uh, we've, we've really just had this fascination with artichokes. And after I grew them last year for the first time successfully, um, it is, it has been just a passion to find unique ones because we all know of like green globe artichoke. It's the one that most people start with. Mm -hmm. There's so many others. I mean, there's, um, in my kind of to grow list, there's six other varieties and, um, they're all unique. They're all have a different growth habit, different colors and uh, shapes and sizes. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a really fun year. We're very, very excited about this year. Okay. So I got to ask you, cause I have not done a lime basil yet. Do you guys have the lime basil seed? Yeah. So we actually do have the lime basil seed Okay. Um, and lime basil is, it is, it's a really interesting basil. It grows, it grows almost like a, uh, if you've ever grown a kind of a Thai basil variety, uh, the, the leaves are very sparse. Uh, it's almost kind of twiggy. So there's a lot of leaves on it, but the leaves that it does, does provide what we do is we use it a lot in, in Thai cooking. Um, my wife and I, like I said, we have Thai food in the summertime, probably I would say once a week minimum. And what you do is you take the lime basil and you, you, uh, you bruise it. So you'll take it with like a, like a rolling pin or I don't know, some type of like blunt object and you bruise it so that it's not green anymore. It actually turns kind of like a, like a wet, like a dark green. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you bruise it. And then what you do is you actually drop those bruised leaves into uh, your, your oil that you're using to like, uh, to start your aromatics with your soups. Okay. 
and it just the whole house smells like you just took a, a lime rind and just squeezed it Ooh. all over the house. And it's it's probably one of the most fragrant basils that we've ever grown. And um, I'm I, I am so in love with all of the different you know the orange basil, the lime basil, the lemon basil. They all are so fragrant. But um, yeah, they're you can't get much better. Okay, and so because I've not grown those varieties before, I'm assuming that not only does it smell like lime, but you get a hint of that lime with the basil in the flavor profile. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, usually what we find is stuff you you it kind of tastes like how it smells. Okay. Um, when your brain when your brain associates things like like for instance cinnamon basil, um, it, it very much. I mean, if you closed your eyes, you'd think someone had basil in one hand and cin- and a cinnamon stick in the other. It's that strong. Um, and even things like licorice basil. Have you ever grown licorice basil? I haven't. Oh man, it's a treat. It is a wonderful treat. Yeah, we uh, we grew licorice basil for the first time two years ago, and my dad is a big fan of uh, black licorice, and so um, we actually uh, we used black licorice or not black licorice. We used the licorice basil. Uh-huh. We made a tea with it, and oh, and it smelled like you took black licorice and put it into some hot water. You could not tell the difference. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. I love the idea of both the lemon and the lime basil. So I'm going to go get me some seeds <laughs> and get those because I need to get my basil started um, fairly soon. I'm going to grow it a little bit early because I'm going to grow some in the house um, as well as some to plant outside. And I want to try those too. And the reason I asked is because I remember the first time I grew chocolate mint, I was so disappointed it didn't taste oh, like chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is so disappointing. That is yes. the most disappointing one. Uh, yeah, we we have we've fallen victim to a lot of those ones. The uh, even like the apple mint, the the uh, the um, the chocolate mint, even the orange mint. All of those mints, they are just. I wouldn't say they're a gimmick because they're. I mean, people do people do really enjoy them, but they certainly don't taste like what they what they're advertising. That's no. for sure. No, no, they don't. So that's why I was asking if the flavor profile was there on the basil because I didn't want to. I didn't want to to come into it with the wrong expectations. So, oh goodness, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun getting to talk with you and learn and hear about everything that you're doing to help people achieve financial sustainability and food security with their garden and learning to grow their own food. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Melissa. It's honestly a pleasure and it's an honor. And anytime you'd like to have me back or, uh, you know, anytime you'd like to maybe make a guest appearance on our show, let me know. We'd love to have you. It's been a, it's been a fun time getting to know you and talk to you. Awesome. Okay. We'll do. And guys, if you're listening in and you've got some questions for Luke, Make sure that you either put them in a review, pop them in the comments of the blog post that goes with this episode so that we can have them back on to answer your questions. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, got some fun facts, and are definitely inspired to grow more of your own food this year. You know, both Luke and I love growing our own food, but we also really love helping other people to do the same thing. And part of the fuel that helps keep everything going is knowing 
that you guys are finding the information helpful and valuable. And so if you enjoy this podcast, maybe it's this particular episode or the podcast as a whole, and you haven't left a review yet on whatever app you're listening to it, maybe it's iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever it may be. I would really appreciate it if you left a review so that it's like fuel in the fire. So every time we sit down to record new episodes and to get these up for you and are reaching out to people and asking them if they'll come on and share their knowledge with us, um, it just, like I said, it is like fuel for the fire and really helps keep everything going. So I so appreciate it if you do leave a review. And I look forward to being back here with you next Friday when we have our next brand new episode. So I will just say bye for a short while and we will talk again soon. Mm-hmm.